What's up, you guys? I'm your host, Michael Swoboda, and this is the Average Alaskan Podcast, the show where we cover the good, the bad, and the ugly of Alaskan outdoors and life here in the great state of Alaska. Today, sadly, there is no Sean Love. He is attending his grandfather's birthday party tonight, so we're going to give him a pass. He's been fighting off a gnarly gnarly flu or bug or something last week, so uh, we didn't get a normal episode out for you guys, but uh, we got a little different one on the books for you today. Hopefully, you guys enjoy it. Uh, It might push a couple buttons for some of y'all listening out there. I know this can kind of be a a sensitive subject for some, uh, but we're going to cover moving to Alaska. Uh, Today, we have a Listener that reached out, um, been listening for a while now and uh, had some questions for us. And while we were going through the DMs session of messaging back and forth and trying to get the questions all figured out, we decided it'd be a little easier to maybe hop on the phone and talk about this stuff and uh, figured some of you guys might be interested as well. So uh, that's what this episode's going to encompass. Uh, we might cover a little bit of everything, but the gist of it's going to be kind of the logistics of coming up from the lower 48 and trying to set roots up here in Alaska. So I know some of y'all out there listening are just grimacing your teeth and oh boy, more people coming to Alaska, but it's the inevitable truth of the world. People are always going to ebb and flow and move places and we're here to help. So uh, we're definitely not going to, I'm not going to hold any punches for sure and be as uh, upfront and honest as I can give y'all as much information uh, as y'all can get from this and see if we can't help Trevor out in his uh, process of trying to figure out how to move up to Alaska and what all that encompasses. So we're going to go ahead and hop into that interview. I'm going to bring onto the line with us Trevor Rolshin. Hopefully I uh, said that right. How's it going, Trevor? Oh, how's it going? Hey, uh, you hit that right on the right, right in the money. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done it a couple times now. No pro by any means, but I'm starting to starting to get the hang of this. <laughs> Oh. Well, I wanted to start off uh, first, kind of let the listeners know uh, who you are and how uh, you got in contact with us and kind of where this journey of thinking of moving to Alaska all started. Okay, well, this could be a pretty good story, I guess. I <laughs> wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Anywho, Perfect. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, it all started back, uh, well, fuck, I must have been, uh, five, six years old. Um, uh, started watching Deadly's Catch with, uh, my grandfather. And, uh, well, my grandfather, he always watched me as a child. Um, my mom wasn't always around, so, uh, he watched me and whatever, and, uh, We'd always watch Deadliest Catch and uh, Ice Road Truckers. Basically, anything that had to do with Alaska, whatever. And uh, he uh, he always promised me when I was 13 years old, we'd go up there and do a fishing trip. So uh, we did end up going up there when I was 13. Um, we drove up there, which... For, for those of you don't, that don't know, 
holy fuck, is that a long drive? <laughs> no kidding. Did y'all do the Alcan or the Caziar? Did y'all go up through Washington or kind of up through the Yukon, uh, Montana, that that kind of direction? We went through uh, the Yukon, Montana, all that. Yep. So that uh, which actually is a great drive. Great. I I I won't say it's bad. It's just very long. Very long. Lots to see. And uh, so yeah, we went up to um, Soldatna for two weeks, and we fished on the Kenai for a while, and then uh, we hopped on the ferry from Homer to Kodiak and we stayed over there for two weeks um little backstory my grandpa's been to Alaska 22 times nice so y'all have got he's gotten to experience that I'm sure growing up you got to hear tons of his stories and like you were expressing watching you know all the all the media around Alaska and stuff, I'm sure that bug was kind of in you since day one, just wanting to, I'm sure if there's anything like me, just kind of that taste for the unknown and wanting to, you know, you see it all over the place on TV and stuff and it feels so far away, but to actually get up and see it. And it sounds like y'all did it, did it up proper, you know, drove up and because like you said, it's definitely a haul, but it's a gorgeous, gorgeous drive. You get to see a bunch of cool country. And if you've never done a, you know, a long haul trip like that before, especially through a bunch of kind of seemingly empty, unforgiving terrain. It can definitely uh, be a different perspective for sure. And a kind of an eye opener to kind of where you're heading and then to get up here and spend multiple weeks is definitely the way to do it. I, uh, you know, people always ask how long, how long should we visit Alaska? How long should we be up there? And everybody, you know, most people can only get seven to 10 days off with work and stuff. And it's just, I mean, that's barely enough to really scratch the surface by the time you fly into Anchorage, get to wherever you're going. It seems like you're packing up and heading back to the airport in no time. So, uh, I'm glad your first trip got to be, you know, as expansive as it was. I, I'd like to add in there, uh, one week is definitely not enough time there's just simply is not enough time to to see what you would like to see when you're coming up to alaska all these travel websites they always say oh four to five days no <laughs> no come on no. yeah you can't even you need at least in that two, time. <laughs> exactly you need like two three weeks for sure no, that's awesome. So y'all spent two weeks up in Soldatna and then made your way down to Homer, hopped on the, the ferry and over to Kodiak. Is that where your guys' uh, trip ended, was there on the island? Yeah, and then we ended up, uh, we went back, and then we did the whole trip backwards, basically. Nice. So what we time of the the year did you guys come up? I'm assuming sometime in the summer. I believe it was oh June. Yep. I don't know. The, the salmon were uh, spawning in the Kenai, so whenever time that was. Gotcha. If the reds were up there, it was probably uh, getting to be towards the end of July. Usually by uh, July August, they're in there pretty thick. Um, 
but yeah, it's also an early run as well. But yeah, anytime during the summer, it just it's the time to be up here. The winters up here are gorgeous. They're definitely a a different pace than the summers are. Uh, but everybody out there listening, if you're planning a trip to Alaska, I definitely recommend between that kind of June and mid September point. Um, either end of and that. I think is, we'll touch later on the winter subject. Yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll circle back yeah. to that for sure. I have a feeling uh, a lot of this conversation's going to revolve around uh, the big W word. So uh, that'll we'll well, get back to that. Not, not all of it, but, but some of it. So. Oh yeah, it's it's one of those un, unfortunate and inve- uh, inevitable facts of Alaska. You got to touch on it a little bit. <laughs> oh. uh, I'm originally from Wisconsin, so uh, winter doesn't nice. isn't. Uh, all that bad. Yeah, those those brittle, brutal Midwest winters, man. That was the coldest I'd ever been. I spent four years going to college in the Dakotas, and man, it was just you know I felt like I was living in the banana belt here in Alaska because those negative forty, <laughs> blowing forty. That's yeah, that's not for me. <laughs> you know, what? you you just want to run right into it, the, the winter subject. I mean, we're on it. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, we'll work into that right now. Um, we'll we'll just kind of start off. Um, shoot whatever questions kind of you've got on the top of your head right now, and uh, we'll just kind of divulge uh, whatever direction that takes us. So, so so summer, it's it's light almost until the next day. Uh, winter. What do you get up there, but so like right now, so six, our big one six of the hours big, of daylight. Uh, it kind of depends. So here in Homer, so on the peninsula, like right now, it's getting dark at about five thirty. Like while I was driving out here, it was you know the sunset was still on the horizon, but street lights are on. You know, you're running your headlights and everything. It's about completely okay. dark by six o'clock right now, and the solstice up here, which. Uh, Pretty much everywhere else in the United States, we don't really care about it. Some some of the northern states and western states, they'll you know you're you might be a little more familiar with it just because the turning of the seasons. But up here, the solstices get real. You know, they're just big for us just because it's the changing of the seasons and the daylight cycle. So the solstice is the twenty first of December, and right now we're losing probably five to six minutes of daylight a day. That might be on the little steeper end. We might be a little less than that. Um, so by the worst days of the year for us, so around that mid-December period, it's probably getting dark about 4.30 and light by about 10, 10.30. Um, but I always tell people, like especially you got to experience you know, a good month or so of the summers up here. Our summers are definitely more extreme than the winters are when it comes to daylight, which is nice. Uh, some people don't, you know, don't really like the endless days just because they go a little crazy. Um, but with Alaska, just the way it goes, that's our that's our red line season. You know, it's like harvest down south. You really gotta, you know, kind of put up and shut up and just knock everything you need out in the summer. So it's nice to have those long days. Uh, but the winters. They do get dark and they'll get long. It kind of depends on the season. If you like last year, we had a kind of an early winter snow hit the ground, probably 
it was probably stuck to the ground by second week of October, whereas this year is about the second week in November. We did get an early snow, um, but when you get those winters, it just kind of stretch from what seems like October all the way to May, and it's just dark. You kind of it's kind of gut check season. You kind of get your mental health uh, evaluated pretty <laughs> pretty thoroughly by yourself. Come January and February, most of us are pretty fed up with it, unless you're a diehard skier, snow machine uh, guy, or ice fishing. There's things to keep you busy, but it definitely uh, can put a toll on some people. And it's one of those things you you get used to it, but you kind of forget about it every year. Like me and Sean were making the jokes like last week, you know, you're, you kind of prep for it all, all summer. You try and get all your stuff, you know, squared away for the winter. And then winter finally shows up and you're like, shit, I forget it does this. You know, I forget it just gets cold and dark, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, but every year kind of like last winter was definitely a tough one on me. Like nothing serious, but it just, by the end of it, you're pretty fed up. And especially when it just kind of lingers into the spring and summer, cause it just really, chokes down the seasons that we tend to enjoy more (laughs) but um i wouldn't i wouldn't chop it up to as bad as most people um think it is especially if uh, i I think that's a major misconception of uh alaska everybody thinks well it's it's such a harsh winter from from what i'm hearing what i'm seeing I think the the midwestern winters are a lot more uh, severe. Yeah, I would I would tend to lean that direction. We definitely get more like serious storms that roll in. We get more snow. Yeah, we get sure more, more precipitation, snow and the storms can be a little more severe. But when it comes down to just you know numbers, when you're talking about like days under zero or below freezing, the Midwest is you know definitely up there like where i was at in the dakotas northeast south dakota and the town of aberdeen the winters definitely set in later but when they showed up i mean you were you were good for at least you know 10 days below 40 degrees whereas you know if it gets like we had a cold snap this week here down in homer and it was in the teens you know it's probably 15 degrees outside right now um and that's exactly and that's kind of what our average winters look like weather. But um, once you start working up the state, like even into Kenai Soldatna, like they've got, you know, probably three foot snow berms in town in Soldatna and we've got green grass still in town and they're only two hours away. Um, so depending where you're at in the state, it shifts dramatically. Like if you were to head up towards Fairbanks, their winters are a lot more, uh, extreme than it is down here in South central, but they've also, you know, there's kind of, there's pros and cons to everywhere in Alaska. I mean, it's just such a big state. It all depends on, you know, what you're looking to get out of the state and kind of what your, uh, kind of life kind of what lifestyle you're looking for. You can get a little bit of everything up here. It's all kind of cut from the same cloth, uh, but it does vary drastically around the state. Um, so with that, I've got a question for you. Um, kind of roping back. Oh, go to, ahead. Oh, sorry. What was that? Oh, I said, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No Ask worries. Whatever you want. <laughs> so um, when, cause from, uh, we didn't talk a whole, whole lot through messenger we figured this would be the best way to get the information out there um kind of walk me back to your thought process again on kind of 
why you want to move up here and what if you do uh, end up moving up here, kind of what are you looking to get out of it? Not to get, you know, too deep. You're welcome to get open up as much as you want, but kind of what is your personal personal life looking like right now? And kind of what are the major factors that are kind of pushing you towards uh, the whole Alaska move? Well, really uh, what it all comes down to is that I, I'd love to go fishing every day. Um, whether it's commercial, charter, whatever it might be. Um, I'd like to do that and uh, get myself out of... um, I currently farm and uh, pretty well sick of it. It doesn't trip my trigger anymore. It has for the past uh, 11 and a half years and I just don't, uh, don't enjoy it, don't love it anymore and I've always uh, had a niche for fishing, and it doesn't matter what kind of fishing it is. But Yeah, so just kind of looking and, for an uh, overall kind of lifestyle change and just kind of like a lot of us guys just want to do a complete mix-up and kind of start fresh sort of deal? Oh, yeah, basically. Yeah. And uh, I've expressed my love for, for the States, so... I've uh, I've always wanted to move up there. I just didn't ever have any of the answers. Or no, and that's the, that's the to know thing. about. Like I uh, uh, two years ago, I I moved from Wisconsin where I grew up, and uh, I moved out here to Nebraska. And uh, in these two years, I figured out this state fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's nothing else I could say about it. It fucking sucks. There's there's nothing to do besides watch corn and beans grow. It's <laughs> it's, it's so boring out here. And the summers, oh, I think last last summer I seen one day it was 114 degrees. Yeah, no, those get brutal. That was one I, of the final straws of camels back when we decided to move back up to Alaska. We, I was born up here. We moved down when I was, you know, just basically just born between one and two, somewhere in that time frame, and moved back down to Texas where my dad's family was from. And then he always wanted to be back up north. And then finally, you know, he, he had a tile business for about 15 years down there. And it just took a couple too many sweat-soaked T-shirts, and he was like, you know what, we're, we're going back, we're making it happen, I don't care what it takes, I'm tired of being in an un-air-conditioned <laughs> construction, you know, in 110-degree heat, and, you know, with the, the with the way the weather's tracking down south, it's, you know, I, I know it's in the front forefront of a lot of people's mind, it just, the summers are hot, and it's nice to get a little reprieve from that, and Alaska definitely uh, offers that, and and with your interest in the fishing industry, it's, you know, it's kind of one of the last available gold rushes in America, in my opinion, is the fishing industry in Alaska. It's definitely changed in the, you know, last 30 years for, you know, kind of all across the board, a lot of different regular regulatory changes and all that. But there's definitely still a, a potential and options to be had up here in the fishing industry. Uh, one thing I wanted to uh, mention with that because I knew you were interested in the fishing industry and it sounds like uh, you're pretty open to whatever gets you on the water. 
Um, when it comes to like your home life, uh, and I know this stuff, uh, a little more, you know, personal than a normal first time conversation with anybody, but, uh, uh, it just, oh, kinda, go ahead, go ahead. It, it's, it's tough to get a full picture grasp of, uh, the move and everything without having all the information and, uh, Alaska can just be real, real fickle with that. So, uh, right now, if you were to move up, would it just be you moving up, uh, kind of? <laughs> running stag up here or uh would you be bringing anybody up with you it's just just me there's nobody else no pets no nothing it's it's just me perfect you're gonna need that um that's uh (laughs) (laughs) because that's one of the toughest things in my opinion about alaska is it can be really especially if you're trying to make kind of the leap of faith that you're looking at right now, just kind of starting fresh and uh, moving out into the middle of nowhere, basically. Um, with the, especially when it comes to the fishing industry, it's same way with the hunting industry and even the oil industry up here, uh, kind of our big, biggest economic drivers. They kind of record for the, for the most part, you're going to be working remote for a good chunk of the year. Uh, like for example, probably one of the most readily, readily available fishing careers up here is in one of the, uh, commercial fisheries. We've got what seems to be a million of them. Um, some more lucrative than others, some easier to get into than others, but all of them are going to require, you know, being out at sea for, you know, maybe a couple weeks, maybe a couple months. Um, most guys that do it, you know, full time and really put their nose to the grindstone. I mean, you could be on the boat out working, you know, 10 months at a time, spending two months on land. You can make really good money doing it. Um, but it does make it difficult, you know, for starting a family or adjusting a family to it. You know, it's always been said Alaska's kind of a single man's game when it comes to any of the, the guiding aspects, whether it be hunting, fishing, just the fishing industry in general, logging, you know, the oil field. Most, most of those guys are two weeks on, two weeks off, that kind of stuff. So my biggest kind of recommendation, like moving forward with trying to plan a move uh, like this, would definitely be trying to line something up ahead of time um, work-wise, just because once summer kind of picks up up here, everything's go, go, go. Uh, there's definitely you know, more jobs available in the summer, but with the kind of the, the pace at which everybody lives and we're definitely, you know, a solid 10, 15 years behind everybody when it comes to, uh, kind of technology in that realm. So it can be a little tricky finding positions right out of the gate, especially if you're looking into one of those kind of niche, um, work fields like the fishing industry, just because most of the boats are owner operated. So the, you know, owner of the boats, generally your skipper, they're generally crotchety old men, uh, that don't, uh, do well with cell phones. Uh, definitely throwing out some stereotypes. <laughs> you're not wrong. Kinda, it's, <laughs> you're not you're wrong right. at all. <laughs> a duck's a duck, you know, when you see one, you see one. Yeah. That's just kind of the demographic that's in the fishing industry up here. So without either having some ties uh, with just connections up here, getting a hold of a skipper or what kind of the most common uh, route to go is a lot of guys will just kind of walk the docks if you're in a port town. Uh, this, this is where I'm getting into my next question is uh, uh, getting 
getting that job because we had talked uh, earlier in the DMs about, uh, well, we had said something about um, getting a, a fishing job could be somewhat difficult um, because most of the skippers, um, you know, they don't put their services out on what, what do you call it? Indeed.com or something like that. Or exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, these, these job services. <laughs> so I, I guess you, is it, is it easier just to walk the dock or uh, walk into the local bar and sit per, down? Pretty or, much. Uh, that would honestly be my, you know, kind of go to, um, strategy, walking the docks, just kind of getting your face familiarized with different boats, stopping and chatting. What a lot of guys will do is, you know, have some form of basically a business card. Most guys will just, you know, write on the back of a bar napkin or, you know, a scrap sheet of paper, their yeah, name, their right. info, kind of <laughs> their, you know, their skill set and whatnot. And they'll, a lot of people just tape it to, you know, a door on the boat, something like that, or, you know, exactly like you mentioned, going down to the local watering hole, wherever it is, go down to the bar or whatever, and just start meeting people. And just about everybody up here has some form of, you know, friend, buddy, relative, you know, auntie, auntie, something that's, you know, somehow connected in the fishing industry. And so a lot of it up here is just networking because, you know, we don't, you're not going to find a lot of these jobs, like you mentioned on Indeed or, you know, a job forum. Most guys are, you know, they're going to hire people that they know or, you know, got a good reference from, you know, their this captain or something like that. So really getting on your first boat is the biggest hurdle. Once you've been on one, um, you know, those connections just kind of, I think your name gets kind of passed around after you're on one boat. Exactly. And just being able to, you know, Oh, I fished with Richie this last summer on the, you know, the so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. And then you get to talking with somebody at the bar and, you know, in between seasons, say, oh, yeah, no, I know Richie. We we used to fish, you know, dungies back 20 years ago, blah, blah, blah. You know, what are you doing this season? It's A lot of it just yep. comes from, yep. you know, just kind of your typical small town, uh, you know, mouth of word of mouth references and uh, working kind of the the hard way to do it. You know, it's a lot easier to just email off a, a, you know, a resume and a cover letter with a couple references, but that's not really how everything operates up here. But just having that kind of that drive and will willingness to, you know, kind of feel like a bum for a little bit and walk around and just, you know, ask questions and you're just kind of be a sponge for information and knowledge. Um, and the main thing is just being willing uh, cause usually you'll get, you'll get opportunities up here. They're not always the best ones. And a lot of it's what you make of it. Um, there's plenty of boats out there that you'd probably rather not be on, but you don't know that until you've really dipped your toes in that industry and in that field. And, uh, if you haven't been jaded once or twice, you know, you don't really know what you're talking about yet. Uh, but just getting out on the water and kind of getting those baseline skills, learning how the industry works and, uh, just you know, effectively getting on the job training and ideally getting paid for it. Um, and just kind of working, working the ladder rungs up. And, uh, we, I wish Sean was here. He'd be a good, uh, good person to bounce some of these ideas off of as I, 
Uh, that would be a, a great resource right there. Yeah, as I'm trailing off, he's always <laughs> he's always got my back. But because uh, a lot of it, I mean, tons of people up here. I know it's just a matter of getting there. You know, he's done that first uh, commercial fishing, hasn't he? Uh, Sean hasn't done any. I've done a little, but his uh, his brother did probably four or five. His brother, years. yeah, that's yep. what it was. He's done quite a bit of yeah. uh, commercial fishing and. Uh, we've all kind of been around the world of it. Sean worked in uh, refrigeration at an ice house here that serviced all uh, commercial boats and stuff. And so there's all kinds of different uh, industries built up around the fishing industry that you can build connections through as well. Um, so it's not always the end of the world if you can't find your uh, find yourself on a boat for a season or two. There's always you know jobs in and around that field uh, that are just as good for networking as anything else. I can, the amount of people I know that have either gotten jobs or lost jobs and watched people get hired off the docks uh, right in front of them to fill their spot that, you know, might've just been a, a cannery worker or an ice worker. And they're like, Hey, we need a guy. This is, this is what we can pay. This is what we might make. And a lot of guys, that's how they'll get their first, uh, first gig on a boat is just, you know, pitching fish or working on the, you know, working in the auxiliary fields around the fishing industry and then just kind of falling ass first into a, a job opportunity and being able to kind of tell your current boss to shove it and you're going to hop on this boat and, <laughs> you know, give it a whirl. <laughs> so uh, kind of on the basis of the working side of things, so you mentioned you've been in the agricultural industry for about a decade and some change now. Um, is that what you've kind of always, always done? That's just kind of what, uh, what everything was coming up, uh, like growing up and just kind of stuck with it where, you know, kind of what did, I've got a, a good, good buddy runs a ranch in the Dakotas, but what all, what all were you doing for the last 10 years? Uh, and kind of like trade wise that you think the, uh, would transfer up here well. So uh, I guess we'll start at the at the bottom. I, I started milking cows when I was thirteen or fourteen years old, something like that, and uh, progressed up and up and up. And <clears throat> I started doing the custom farm work, uh, field work, as many might call it. Um, which, uh, basically you're harvesting crops for the farmers that own the fields. We just run the equipment. So, uh, in a lot of cases that saves the farmer quite a bit of money by not purchasing the equipment. Um, anyways... For sure. Uh, so was, yeah, I've been in. What's that? Oh, sorry. I was just blabbing over here. You're fine. Finish your thoughts. Sorry about oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, uh, yeah, I've been doing. Uh, been basically just driving tractors and fixing um, farm fuck ups <laughs> yeah. for the past. Uh, 14, no, not 14, no, about 11 years, and uh, I'm pretty well sick of it, because it's kind of the same shit every fucking day. Yep. So most most of that experience... Excuse my language. Oh, it's all good. Um, 
<laughs> but so so you'd say most of your experience is kind of in the the equipment side of things a lot of you know equipment operation maintenance, that type of field well that's a good it's a I good can. skill to have up here especially when like i'm gonna kind of keep everything tailored towards the fishing industry just because that seems to be uh the driving factor for you um having you know i do have a captain's license i don't know if that helps me there you go that's super helpful what uh uh what license do you have I guess the uh, I got six pack right now, but I'm working on a uh, hundred ton. Nice. That is uh one thing. If you can get your hundred, like that's one of my goals for this winter. I've had all my qualifications for my hundred ton for about four years now, and I've just been dragging my feet and haven't gone through and taken my exam. Uh, but having a captain's license up here well especially wanting to get into the fishing industry is probably your best bet there's always um charter captains um looking to get hired they can be tough ones to kind of nail down a good outfit to be working for but definitely to cut your teeth on being able to get on a boat even if you're you know just flaying fish or you know deck handing for a couple years so many you know, outfits, just having that, having your six pack license allow you to run most boats in Alaska, uh, having your hundred tons even better. Um, but just having, having that on your resume to get your foot in the door on a lot of these boats, that'll put you, you know, head and head and shoulders above the competition for the most part. Uh, a lot of it up here, they want, you know, some local experience. Um, and that's why I was saying a lot of times, you know, you'll still uh, be, you know, doing deckhand rolls and stuff, trying to get a get a feel for the Alaska waters, kind of how the fishing operates and everything. But having that captain's license already under the belt and uh, going after, you know, additional licensing is going to do nothing but help you up here for sure. Um and that would honestly, if you were looking to get into any of the fisheries up here, um, I would look into the charter industry to start. The commercial fishing is just, it's a lot more of a gamble, uh, in my opinion. The sport fishing can be too. It's real easy to, you know, sign a contract with somebody to run their boat for them and think it sounds like an awesome deal. You know, you're going to make $400 a day. You're going to be fishing all summer. And then, you know, comes to find out dude's got, you know, four four trips booked and you've kind of, you know, stuck in a, a bummer deal. Yeah, but, he just stuck you. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. that isn't uncommon up here. Um, but just due to the amount of outfits there are and there's just a lot of a lot of people in that game. Uh, but if you can find a good, you know, a good boat to run, a good company to, you know, operate out of, it isn't, you know, unlikely to make 350 plus dollars a day and getting to, you know, go fishing just about every day. And if done right, you know, you can make a good, a good living off of summer and subsidize it on the sides, but go ahead. So on that note, uh, you said come up there. Uh, obviously I got, I got six pack license. Um, no, let's just say I land a job up there. I don't know any of the waters at all, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know, I know a lot of it just from, you know, kind of analyzing chart maps, but 
that's kind of kind of almost I, I'm not gonna say it's scary, but it's like it's, whoa. Yeah, it's definitely overwhelming, especially if you haven't done a lot of uh you know, ocean a lot of salt water in the first place, and then if you it's it's so hard to explain the waters up here because it is it it fluctuates so much and can change so quickly up here and you know it's not uncommon at all to you know have a storm roll in in the matter of six hours go from flat calm to 12 foot seas and you know you've you never know how to deal with that type of stuff until you've you know unfortunately dealt with it and so my what what my advice would be in a situation like yours if you make the move up here you're you know dead set on getting in the fishing industry um the way i would go about it is i would make a plan try and be in alaska you know if you roll in in i'd say april you know most most outfits are going to start their saltwater seasons by about May, you know, a lot of outfits won't run until, you know, halfway through June. They'll do June, July, August, be done for the season. Uh, outfits that are a little more established and are running a little more through the season, they'll go, you know, May, June, July, August, and then even into September. Um, but I would give myself probably a minimum of a month up here before the season gets going to give you time to be able to look for a job. Ideally you'd have some, you know, have made some phone calls to some outfits, kind of pick the brains of uh, some owners or captains and might have a lead on a job already. Uh, but I would give myself a minimum of a month to kind of establish myself and then start hitting the docks, hitting the um, different charter offices to figure out, you know, a gig. And I would look, I would, you know, express your interest in, you know, guiding and running a boat and that you have the qualifications to do it but i would be up front and you know because they're going to ask your experience in alaska and without any um i would shoot for a deckhand position just to get comfortable with you know i, the- I was just i was just gonna touch on that I, i'm not not all looking to just go straight for the skipper like i'm not no. not trying to jump or how do you say? Not trying to climb the the whole entire freaking ladder all at once. Like I that it'll never work that way. We all know that. Nope. But uh, so yeah. Um, no. Total brain fart here. Oh, Holy it's shit. it's all good. No, I think you're <laughs> you're right in the right Whoa. direction there. Just getting on a boat and getting that experience. That's Get, one thing. Yeah, getting on the boat, start doing it. I, I think I I think that would probably be the, the 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 only way to do it. No, for sure. And that's you know, it would it'd be reckless in my opinion to, you know, because as you know, as any captain knows, you're you know you're the you're the spear point of the operation. You're responsible for everybody's safety, everybody's quality of life while you're out there. And 
you know, it can be Absolutely. gorgeous. I mean, it can be as flat as the puddle in your backyard, but uh, it can, you know, it kills people. It's, it's no joke up here. And, you know, things do happen. Most of the time it's not at the fault of whoever was in charge or man in the vessel, but you know, things, things happen quick. And all of a sudden you, you know, it can be as simple as, you know, gumming up a fuel filter and now you're 40 miles offshore and have no, no means to get back home. Don't have spare parts or whatnot. And you know, what went from a easy Saturday cruise on the water turns into, you know, what can quite literally be a a life and death situation up here. Uh, not to make it sound more dramatic than it is, um, but in great deadliest catch fashion, you know, oh, we're only going to well, cover the nasty, is, so. <laughs> the nasty bits. But, <laughs> uh, but no, that would that would be my recommendation. Just getting up here early, getting to know some people, uh, you know, making your face known, going into different offices, you know, just being being polite, being the person you are. And uh, just be straightforward with what you're looking uh, to do with your current position, your future position. And, you know, people people really take people on their word up here. And a lot of people are old school in that way. You know, look them in the eyes, shake their hands. And, uh, you know, you could be looking at a, a lifetime of a joy and happiness. But if you, you know, do that person wrong, you be on the shit list forever type of deal. So just being being proactive about it and kind of having a, a game plan. Uh, cause that's what I, that's what I see the most with people who do move up here. We've had a big influx, um, pretty much since COVID a lot of places have, you know, people are moving, they want a different change of pace or a different move lifestyle. in and they move back out. Exactly. It's, you know, we, we always say kind of the golden rule is if you can make it three years, you can live in Alaska, but you know, those first three years will kind of weed out the the thin and the weak, uh, the way we like to put it. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's not cut out for a lot of people. It is a, you know, it's not just a different place you live in. It's a whole different lifestyle. You kind of have to embrace, uh, personally, I think it's for the better, uh, but not all people can operate that way up here. I mean, if you're used to certain creature comforts, you just kind of have to kiss those goodbye and accept the fact that you'll probably never see them again. If, uh, all goes to plan, Um, but I, you know, I've just from the little bit of research I've done on you by, uh, just scrolling through some, uh, old Instagram pictures, basically, you know, you look like an individual that's, you know, willing to put in hard work and chain, do what you need to do to change, to better yourself. And, uh, I think that's speaking of hard work, I'm pretty sure I put in uh, 95 hours in the past seven days. (laughs) Oh, nice. You finally got a part-time job. Um, <laughs> yeah, part-time job. I'll just mess with yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> but no, and that's, I mean, I hate, I hate talking this way about, about Alaska just because it is a wonderful place, but you know, I'm not going to feed you a line of bullshit and just tell you everything's, you know, sunshine and rainbows up here because for a lot of people, it's the best decision they make moving up here. And for some, it's the absolute worst because, you know, unfortunately I've gotten to see people move up here, think they're going to change their life and, you know, end off, you know, five times worse off than they were when they came up here. And I think a lot of it, you know, everybody's got their demons. Everybody's got their, you know, their baggage and their closet full of skeletons. Oh, absolutely. But being able to Alaska gives you that opportunity to 
you know, kind of start fresh. You can, you know, rebuild yourself, re-envision yourself, re-envision what you want to see your life to be. And that place gives you your opportunity. Um, but you do have to be willing to kind of suck up and deal with, you know, probably three years of getting your teeth kicked in, you know, for lack of better, better words. Cause a lot of what I see is people move up, they'll have a plan, they'll have an image, but they don't realize that, you know, we do have what seems like limitless access to whatever you want outdoor wise up here. But a lot of it takes quite a bit of means to really pull off what you want to do. And a lot of people move up with the ambitions of kind of like yourself when you mentioned being able to fish whenever you want. Um, this place does give you the opportunity to do that. But kind of the truth of the matter is you'll probably spend the first two years you know, doing nothing you really enjoy, you might get to go out and do a little bit of fun here and there. But the first couple of years are most likely going to be kind of strapping the boots down, kind of figuring out uh, the work side of things, just because the cost of living up here is significantly more than what you're probably accustomed to. And so, you know, savings or, you know, whatever you plan to bring up with you when you do make the trip uh, might go quicker than you see, you know, think and then once you start accruing all the gear to do what you want you know you'll already have about three mortgages out just in uh your fishing tackle hunting gear and uh you know means to get out yeah to you're no go. no kidding no kidding <laughs> so no that's something i always try and tell people because that's it can sour people real quick when they realize you know they move to what seems like everybody's you know vacation destination and uh, the way my dad used to always put it is, you know, you get to live in paradise and watch everybody else enjoy it while you slave away. Um, and there's a lot of truth to that. But if you're willing to kind of just buckle down, suck it up for, you know, two to three years, uh, get accustomed to what life in Alaska is. Uh, by that time, you'll be kind of settling into your groove. You understand what your you know work schedule is going to kind of be like. You're going to understand how. Uh, not only the seasons like weather wise go, but kind of the fishing seasons, you know, when you got you and your grandfather came up on y'all's uh, trip up to Alaska, y'all here in the summer, I'm sure there was fish, you know, galore wherever y'all were. I'm sure there's tons of silvers in Kodiak. I'm sure the uh, Kenai was plumb full of reds and the fishing is amazing, Absolutely. but it lasts, you know, about three months and then it'll taper off. You know, you kind of have to be versed in being able to fly fish to catch rainbows on the shoulder seasons. You know, you've got your steelhead fisheries, your salmon, your saltwater salmon. Yeah. There's plenty of stuff to do, but just getting kind of the local knowledge, figuring out the, you know, the places to go, the equipment to use. There's just a, there's a real steep learning curve to getting the hang of it. I mean, I, I kind of had a, a good handicap when I moved up in the, means if I could, I had a lot of resources to lean on. I had a lot of family and friends that lived up here. You know, both my parent, my mom was born and raised Alaskan. My dad spent most of his life in Alaska. You know, I already had a good bank of knowledge, but it still, you know, took me years to get it figured out and shit. We have, you know, we own a charter business and I got to, you know, fish, you know, professionally or whatever, you know, got to make my living fishing for 10 years and 
you know, I still feel like I can barely, you know, I can barely keep my head straight with everything I need to be doing, but it's a good mental exercise for us nonetheless. <laughs> so my kind of the next thing I wanted to dive into, I was mentioned kind of planning, where do you sit right now with what, because, you know, the whole focus on this call was to kind of get you squared away with the logistics of moving up here and stuff. But what's your time for, like, do you have a deadline you want to try and make it to Alaska by? Is it still kind of a pipe dream and figuring stuff out? Or are you like, I will, you know, I'm going to be in Alaska no later than June 2024. I'm making this happen. Kind of where are you standing with, with the actual process of moving up here? So, uh, my busy season right, is current, obviously, as I spoke earlier. Nope. Um, and uh, that actually goes all the way till the middle of May. I'll be working those stupid ass hours till <laughs> 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 so about May. And uh, I'm, I'm really hoping. Uh, Hopefully by the middle of July, I can be getting getting out of Dodge here. Gotcha. So the goal kind of sits at, you know, finish up this season of, you know, harvest and farm work, kind of grind through this last, you know, big season, and then just kind of load the truck up and point it north, kind of the idea. Absolutely. And I, I, I'll never... I'll never let the boss man down. I'll always finish the season. Yep. That, that's something about me that I, I take pride in. I've done it for all my life. So, yep. And I mean, that's a, you know, nobody's ever going to tell you wrong for that. That's just a good, good moral founding you've got there. And, you know, that's something that's definitely appreciated and definitely going to be needed up here because there's, unfortunately, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of gigs where, you know, you might kind of get left holding the bag, but if you can suck it up and finish a season, uh, you can, you know, really earn a lot of people's respect and uh, you might not ever fish on that boat again or, you know, work for that foreman ever again, but uh, just having their, you know having them in your back pocket as a reference or something really goes a long ways. And there'll definitely be times where you want to, you know, throw in the towel if it's a, you know, shitty fishing season or if you're working construction and it's, you know, grounds half frozen, you can't feel your fingers and you got to get a slab poured and, you know, want to tell the boss right where to shove it. And, you know, you just got to bite your lip and deal with it. Sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I definitely hear you there. That, that always sucks. You know, you're you're between a rock and a hard place. You know, it's it. But at the end of the day, you got a job to do, and um, I'm committed, hundred percent to whatever job that is. Nope. I'm not gonna not gonna leave the the company or the boss uh, empty-handed for half a fucking season. That's just. To, to me, that's just ridiculous. Like, why? Why would you even? Why, why would you even quit? Yep. Just, just go through the whole thing and just get it done. Yep. 
just be a man. Sometimes you just got to suck today's dick and get it over with. That, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Cool. So with, that's uh, exactly what it is. So what have you, um, done, uh, in terms of kind of looking for where you want to be moving up here, you've gotten to see some of South central, like you said, Kodiak, Homer, Soldotna, that area, uh, have you kind of pinpointed where you're hoping to move to, or do you kind of have a, a list of preferred locations? Like what, uh, what does that look like for you right now? Well, I think, uh, my favorite location when I did, oh, excuse me, holy shit. Um, my favorite location when I did um, go up there was uh, Homer. And uh, for some reason, that the whole area there in Homer, it, it's always kind of stuck with me. And I, I have a mental image of it. And uh, we were sitting up on, um, was it East Road? Yep. East Hill. East Hill or whatever it is. Yep, East Hill that runs up and kind of gives you a big panorama view of Catch Mac Bay and everything. Correct. Okay. We're sitting up there and uh I can just I picture the whole thing. Yep. Every time I think about it. And it's it's it flabbergasts <laughs> Every every time I think about it, it's just ridiculous. Oh, it definitely uh, tends to leave that effect on a lot of people. I know. I vividly yeah. remember first time driving into Homer. We came over Baycrest uh, Ridge, and you know, you kind of last two hours has kind of been flat, muskeggy land, and then you come over this hillside and see the ocean and the snow-capped mountains. And you know, it definitely, yeah, definitely kind yeah. of burns an image into your mind for forever, and it's hard to hard to let go. That's one of the things we start to take it you know, for granted up here and you kind of have to slap yourself in the face and just remind yourself you, you know, live in paradise. It might be hell sometimes, but, uh, at the end of the day, it's hard to, hard to look at the scenery and really, uh, go, woe is me. That's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, one thing I wanted to mention since Homer is on the top of your, uh, top of your list for ideal locations to live, uh, just kind of the, some of the nitty gritty on Homer from, you know, I've been blessed to live here for going on 11 or so years now. Um, one, the biggest hurdle with Homer uh, specifically, uh, like I mentioned earlier, we've had a ton of people moving in. We've grown close to 20% in the and last three years. I, You guys have touched on this topic so many times on your on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And it, it almost kind of scares me just a little bit. It, I would say that fear isn't uh, wasted. It's I, definitely- I'm looking to go into like a, a wholesome town. Um, I don't know. Um, it definitely. You still guys has- have a go let, ahead. Let, let's just ask this question. Are you volunteer fire department or not volunteer fire department? So we are a volunteer fire department. We do have a couple full-time staff positions, but it is uh, primarily a volunteer fire department, yes. Gotcha. Okay, so that was not going to answer my question. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, Homer still has, I mean, it's still got the charm that everybody loves Homer for, but the biggest change that I've seen is predominantly just kind of the amount of money that's come into the community, which isn't, you know, everybody's got their opinion on, you know, every everything, and everybody's, you know, got the right to have their opinion. Uh, my opinion on the whole thing, yeah. we've had a lot of people move in, uh, a lot of what I would consider, you know, upper middle class or far beyond upper middle class, you know, kind of a, a level that I can only aspire to once get, you know, ever get to. Um, rich, it, rich folks. Yeah. And not, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, people who make more than you do or anything like that. It just, it's. No, a, and I don't. Uh, uh, I'll level with you there. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. <laughs> I think it might be more of the jealousy thing. Yeah, there's you always know, that. They, they, I'd love to have an airplane, a hanger, a Sherp, a new side by side, but you know the old Lamborghini. They, they can afford to go to ADAC every fucking day of the fucking week, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah. what I've seen the biggest. What I've seen the biggest like pinch point with the whole deal is because, you know, inevitably a town needs growth to, you know, further grow, to expand, to offer better amenities, the whole gamut. You know, there's there's good things that come with growth. But with that, you also lose a little bit of that small town charm. We still have plenty of it. I mean, Homer still probably sits at about. There's probably 5,500 people that live inside the city limits of Homer and then tack on probably another 3,000 in the surrounding area. But all said and done, uh, you know, we're under 10,000 people. It still has that small town feel, that small town charm, has all the downsides of a small town, like, you know, limited fast food or access to like a Walmart, that type of uh, stuff, but yeah. you do just start to see the effects in our biggest crunch right now has been housing, which, uh, with moving up here, kind of blank slate, that would be the thing I worry about the most is just finding stable housing because there is a lot of rental opportunities up here, but unfortunately we've got a big, uh, scuttlebutt with the city council right now. They're, We've got a ton of Airbnbs. A lot of people have multiple homes up I, here. And I, I will, I will pitch in on that. Yeah, um, go ahead. There's a fuckload, and I'm going to say it, a fuckload of Airbnbs in Homer, Alaska. <laughs> Everybody, if you're looking to go on a fucking vacation, Homer, Alaska. <laughs> yep. They have all the amenities for. All of these Airbnbs, and you know what? Actually, they're pretty good price. No, they are, and that's that's what uh, cool. they're they're almost almost not quite, but they're almost. Um, if you were going to go and move there, <laughs> you could almost just live in an Airbnb. Um, for for about the same price as rent, but uh, not quite. But yeah, yeah, no, and that's because it has become an extremely lucrative market for people who have second homes up here. But what it's caused a lot of it is, uh, or what has been a byproduct of this, has been a lot of 
a lot of housing will go off the market and there'll be explicitly Airbnbs through the summer. Uh, homeowners know they can make, you know, a whole year's worth of rent in three months running Airbnb. Um, and so finding solid year round rentals is real difficult here right now. Um, a lot of the time you'll be looking at leases that run from September to April, and then they expect you to move out for the summer. Um, you know, they'll rent it out as an Airbnb. And if you're lucky, you might be able to hop back on that same lease once the summer season's over. Um, but Homer historically has operated as kind of a seasonal working hub in the summer. We'll get people from all over the world that'll come up just to work in the summer, whether it be the fishing industry, uh, you know, an industry adjacent to it, or just coming up to kind of vagabond around Alaska, working odd and end jobs or working a cannery or working a fish dock, something just, to, you know, kind of explore, have kind of a working summer vacation uh, one might say, but it's created year-round uh, housing, a big struggle just because, you know, we are growing. There are more people like yourself that want to move uh, to places like Homer, but the current, um, kind of the current trends with not only national not just the national housing market, but our local uh, housing market. It's all kind of swung to the extremes. If you're looking to buy a house in Homer now, it's almost, you know, not feasible for the average person. I mean, your starter home up here now uh, in the last year and a half has climbed to nearly $400,000 at an 8% rate for something that's probably going to give you two bedroom, two bathroom and a half acre lot. Um, which compared to some places isn't bad. You know, if you're living on the East or West coast, that might seem like a huge discount, but if you're moving from the Midwest where 400,000 might get you 10 acres and, you know, a sizable home, uh, in certain places, it just isn't quite the same up here. Um, so if I were you, I would definitely put a lot of my, did you say, did you say that correctly? Uh, about the housing prices up here or. Four hundred fucking thousand dollars for a starter house. Yep, pretty much. Cause kind of. Holy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, exactly. It's a it's a tough oh my gosh. And that's been probably oh the largest side effect that we've seen with COVID and kind of people moving around up here. Because what you find is a lot of people are buying vacation homes or a second home or they might just be relocating up here, but they're semi-retired or work remote and they'll be dumping a ton of money in the housing market. We've probably only got, you know, we probably got eight to 10 builders that are, you know, steadily busy putting out homes. But of course they're only building, you know, $800,000 homes right now because that's where the money is for them. That's the type of individual that's moving here right now. So we're seeing a huge, decline in just the amount of, you know, quote unquote, affordable housing options being built and the ones that, you know, do exist and, you know, are on the market, you know, it's very competitive looking for a rental and, you know, finding something that'll allow year long rental, especially if you have pets or, you know, you smoke or anything like that gets difficult. We have seen it adjust a little bit like right now, kind of the average rent 
up here, at least for Homer. The rest of the peninsula is significantly cheaper when it comes to housing. Homer's definitely in its own little bubble uh, in this regard, but you're looking at about 1400 a month is going to be kind of your baseline uh, rental. Your cheapest options are going to be, you know, in that like $800 range. But a lot of the times those are going to be, you know, a dry cabin or something that's in that like four to 600 square foot range. So you're talking, you know, a small space that might not have, you know, even running water and something like that will still run you about 800 to a thousand dollars a month and you know it kind of caps out at about 2200 i'd have to i'd have to suppose that doesn't there's uh not uh many apartments not any we do have apartment buildings we don't have any of like your real large apartment buildings and they don't seem to have a lot of tenant turnover. It seems like a lot of the individuals that do have an apartment in town uh, stay in them for quite a quite a while. It is one of the cheaper options, and oh, uh, gotcha, it's a real, real yeah. appealing to most people. So, of all the rentals, true apartments. Uh, you know, I luckily I don't do a lot of looking for um, rentals because uh, we we're no, lucky I, I'll to be buy I'll be straight up. Yep. I'll be straight up. I, I lived in an apartment for four years before I moved here. And now I, I live on what, what you'd call, they call it out here, an acreage. So basically, it's just an old farmhouse on the uh, on the edge of a big old field. And uh, so you pay your rent, you pay the water bill, you pay the electric bill. Everything else should be covered under the the landlord yeah should should but yeah so anyways that's uh, definitely your biggest hurdle that you're gonna like i would i'd strongly advise like looking just get familiar join you know there's if you're on facebook there's a bunch of different like uh specifically for homer different like homer rental options you can like pages you can join and stuff and they'll kind of you know have posts of what's available and i would just try and familiarize yourself with the um the housing here local and then specifically pay attention to like the addresses of it and i would go as far as you know throwing them into google earth or at least you know google maps and getting an idea of where some of these properties are um because homer isn't a giant town but you know you might see something listed for fairly cheap be interested in it and then realize it's you know 35 40 minutes from you know homer proper and it just, you know, without being in a location for a full year, it's hard to really get the grasp of what, like, your snow removal is going to look like and just kind of the true accessibility of the property because most most places, like, if you're going to try and rent in the heart of Homer, one, they're hard to come by, and two, you're going to pay a premium. They do come with, like, in uh, city limits now, most places have – Natural gas, uh, heating and appliances, um, normal electric. Oh, that's another another question I was going to get at. Yep, go for it. Um, what what's like kind of the the main sources of uh, heat during the winter? 
So most places, obviously, yeah, you don't need AC during the summer. There's no need for it. It's just, it's just it's beautiful up there in the summer. Yeah, most most housing units up here aren't going to have AC. Um, so you you know don't have any need for that. The main heating, what you'll find in most places, is diesel fuel heaters. So uh, like a Toyo or a monitor yeah. stove, um, which is you know yep. just fed by diesel heat and then a lot of places uh will have wood stoves more and more rentals are going away from that there'll still be a lot on the market that are heated by wood stoves especially if um you start looking in the realm of like the dry cabins or some of the um further the further away you get from town itself a lot of places are still uh fit up with a wood stove um and a lot, for a lot of people, it's their preferred heat just because, one, it can be cheaper. You can get it yourself, and it just kind of gives that direct, you know, immediate heat that, you know, flames kind of <laughs> provide. So, uh, But, of course, it comes with its own headaches like chopping firewood all summer so you have <laughs> wood stacked up. But I'd say the most Yeah, that'll common, suck. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> that <suck>. It can <laughs> be therapeutic, but it can feel like pitching hay bales after a while. You're just, you know, can't wait for it to That's, be over. Uh, but I'd say the most common so, is the diesel heating monitors. That's that's what I have that heats my house. Um, it's what Sean has to heat his house. Most places, uh, unless you're in the heart of a town, um, and then for the most part, you'll be on natural gas. Um, but a lot of the town units also still use diesel heating fuel. And we have um, services that will deliver it. Um, we've gone towards hauling our own fuel here as recent just because fuel prices are expensive. Uh, diesel's been over $4 for way too long now. Um, but I just filled up three. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Gas prices are brutal everywhere. Amen. And they've slowly been trending down up here, but not, not fast enough or not as fast as I'd like them to. Um but for example, I've seen at one point you guys had six dollar diesel. Uh, we were close this summer. We got up to the high fives. I don't think it ever quite hit six, but it was close enough to where you know you were definitely rounding up, not rounding down. That's disgusting. Yeah. So we've like. <laughs> I'm just gonna say it. Yeah. That's horrible. And unfortunately, <laughs> it just kind of becomes a norm. You know, three. If it if it touches three fifty for unleaded here, you know we're hooping and hollering. Generally, you're looking yeah. between three fifty and four fifty. I think right now unleaded here in Homer is like four nineteen a gallon, um, and diesel I think is in that same ballpark. I think diesel might have finally dipped below three bucks for a little bit, but I think it's back in the fours, but heating oil's gone down a little bit. I just filled up 300 gallons or 260 gallons for a thousand bucks the other day. And that'll get me through the winter. Ideally about 300 gallons is what I account for. Uh, whenever I'm doing my heating fuel for the year is about 300 gallons. So that definitely so, throws, so go ahead. The one tank, what, one tank of uh, diesel that, that should last a whole winter. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. If you, most that, places. I, I got to go through two or three tanks of propane here at my house. Five, 500 gallons uh, tank of propane. It, it only lasts here. Well, obviously it gets a little colder here. 
well, a lot colder, apparently. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it, it lasts me mm, month, month and a half, two months. Yeah, so um, up here, about 300, it all depends, once again, on kind of the size of the home, the, you know, how well it's insulated, but 300 How gallons, big is your home? So my house, we're just under like 900 square foot. It's not, we've got a ton of windows, so it's not very well insulated, and we go through probably yep. 250 gallons a win or a year we don't run the stove a ton in the summer we do a little bit my girlfriend gets chilly so it it's on more than i would normally have it if it just want if it was just you in you know something in that like 800 square foot range i'd say 300 gallons would get you through a you know about a year that would get you from you know probably starting it september cutting her off about you know mid june or mid may early june depending on uh location and just the weather pattern for the year um but that's kind of what i budget myself for is about you know if i can get away with $1000 a year in heating um i'm doing good it's usually probably closer to 1500 it's honestly cheaper than here yeah way cheaper which is nice <laughs> our electric here's probably a little more than y'all's our electric bills tend to be uh fairly high uh, we only have one electric company oh. here so they kind of have a monopoly on that but like for my house oh okay yeah they and they're well. a good company they have good service but it's just kind of the nature of the beast you know we're remote they're the only <laughs> they're the only gatekeeper so they kind of pick their rules that they get a play that, by is that the same company that does all of alaska or is uh, that just, H-E- just for so um, hea homer electric association i believe is the ma- main provider for south central so kind of the kenai peninsula and then anchorage okay. has its own stuff uh, fairbanks has its own stuff but hea kind of powers the peninsula for uh for yeah. what i know um but it's still I think it's reasonable. We try and use, you know, we try and be conscious of our electric use and the bills usually between 125 and 175 a month. Uh, some households are a lot higher than that. Um, but you know, usually you're accounting for kids, a full house, you know, all kinds of other stuff. But I mean, some people pay upwards of $400 a month for their electric, but if you're on top of well, it, I'd, I'd have to guess that the lower end of it is in the middle of the summer when you're not using jack shit. Exactly. And it all kind of averages out clearly in the winter. It's dark out. You're going to be running your, you know, house lights a lot more. You've got a diesel, you furnace, know, whatever you stuff. Exactly. You're just going to have yeah. more use in the winter. I think in the summer, my normal bill is probably like 80 bucks. Um, but I rarely turn, you know, lights on that's basically running our well pump, um, and whatever miscellaneous stuff we've got going on, uh, you know, some TV here and there. Um, speaking of services, phone services, you guys, uh, you and Sean have touched on it multiple, multiple times during your podcast here. Um, and you basically said, there ain't shit for service up there. <laughs> uh, there's definitely tons of dead zones. Like the major, 
cell provider up here is probably AT&T. That's what I use. I know some people use Verizon. We had Verizon when we first moved here, and it was absolute dog water. Just did not work worth a crap. Uh, most providers have gotten better about it, but I live seven minutes from town. I'm kind of in a little hole, but I get one bar cell reception at my house, uh, limited, you know, 5G or LTE, you know, your data and whatnot. But we do have, yeah. we have fairly decent service. Certain spots are much worse than others. Uh, but there are plenty of like just in the drive from Anchorage to Homer, which is you know, about four hours or so. Um, I mean, Was there's a good, four and a half hours. Yeah. Depending on road conditions and whatnot, anywhere yeah. from three and a half to five hours, but there's probably an hour and a half of that drive, at least where you won't have any reception. There's just, there's a lot of parts of the state that just geographically, you're not going to get cell reception. So a lot of people, like I always have my Garmin in reach on me just kind of as it just kind of lives in my truck. It goes anytime I go out in the woods, I have it on me regardless. And I just tend to pretty much keep it on my rear view mirror just, just in case, just cause they're good to have. And you never know when you're making a road trip up to Anchorage to go get whatever. And, you know, a snowstorm rolls in and stuff, but those are just kind of small yep. wrinkles that you slowly get used to and get accustomed to. And just, you know, it's, it's one of those kind of creature comforts that I mentioned earlier that you just start to get accustomed to not having like for the most part, your daily life, you're going to have cell reception, but you know, you might just be driving up for the weekend somewhere else and there's a good chance you're not going to have it and, you know, blow a tire or something like that. It just, excuse me. He can just put you in a unique position for sure. I'd say right now I, I could go as long as I really want without a phone. I basically, I only use it for work. That's, that's about it. I mean, I get, when, when I get home, then I start using it again. But I, I can go a whole day, two days, three days a month. Yeah. <laughs> without, as long uh, as without, without actually like, giving a shit or looking at the damn thing it's like sometimes it gets redundant it's like why why do we even have these things (laughs) right just to take up space in our brain pretty much (laughs) but like fries yourself oh yeah but no, and it and on that topic, it does give you. It kind of gives you a good natural excuse to not be on it. Like if you do do any type of backcountry stuff, or you know, start getting in the woods up here, you know, you're definitely not going to have service. But it's you know, kind of a blessing. You get a escape from it, and you don't have to you know make up a BS lie to get away from the girl you met at the bar the night before or anything. You can just you know <laughs> be honest about it. I didn't have yeah. service. <laughs> yeah. But that's as technology advances, we're seeing a lot, a lot more connection, especially up here. Like Starlink's become huge uh, across the nation, but it's definitely. I've heard, open. I've heard about Starlink. I, I've heard that's a, a great big thing up there. Yeah, because a lot of a lot of places up here, you just either didn't have access to internet or it wasn't, you know, financially. Um, worth it to pull it off i also but, heard it's expensive 
Uh, it's surprisingly decent up here. Uh, you have to, you know, it's like 600 or $700 to get the equipment to get it set up. But um, once you have it set and up. Maybe, maybe that's what it was. Yeah. It's just a setup. Seat. And for certain maybe. places in the country, it's not cost effective to switch to it. But up here, um, it's about the same as our normal providers. Uh, it might even be a little less um, once you tack on fees or anything like that but the service itself is significantly better than our uh traditional internet providers up here i still have uh, traditional internet at my house and i get something like 13 to 20 megabytes per second which uh baffles a lot of people across the u.s because uh most places you'll probably bring in 150 200 megs no problem. Uh, so download speed and stuff like that. Gonna, is, I was going to say something, but I'll just let that go. You hit it. Yeah, <laughs> I think I, I think I know exactly <laughs> what direction you were headed with that. Yeah, oh. you hit it. That's okay. <laughs> um, but stuff I like Starlink. I think around three hundred. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I pay a premium for mine. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, that's definitely opening a lot of doors for people up here, though, is having the uh, access to Starlink. And we're going to just, as time progresses, we're just going to see more and more uh, connection up here with different services. So Absolutely. That's, Absolutely. that wouldn't be anything that I'd you know, worry about too much, especially it seems like, you know, you're you're not working, working from home or working remote or, you know, living and dying by a internet signal. So you should be just fine up here when it comes to that. But my biggest, uh, kind of the biggest change to living up here, I would tell most people is being able to kind of source your normal goods and parts and tools, um, and that like, cause oh, especially with like home, I, I do that right already here yeah no it's, it's uh, definitely a about a half thing. hour drive to get anywhere from here so it's kind of like well do i do that today or do 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 that on my day off yep and uh, of, uh, you never know never yep. know yep and that's no, normally you do it on your day off <laughs> yep <laughs> And that's something you'll come to come to notice a lot up here is just kind of you really have to schedule your uh, big trips for, you know, because like our home closest Home Depot's two hours away, our closest Walmart um, is four hours away, stuff like that to where, you know, you become real, you know, real accustomed to ordering online, ordering from Amazon, that type of stuff. And you, it's just kind of, I was going to ask that too. Amazon's got to be pretty, pretty popping up there. Yeah. Uh, most people, you know, everything's, it's a hell of a drive to get anywhere up there. Yep, exactly. So most people lean to online ordering, uh, for a lot of stuff, um, that does throw hiccups and certain things with, um, certain products, certain companies don't ship to Alaska. Certain products are just too big or bulky that they won't ship to Alaska. Uh, so you kind of got to get resourceful and uh, a little uh, creative with getting certain shipping stuff. Exactly. Is not cheap. No, there's not really uh, many free shipping options to Alaska. There are some, <laughs> but uh, I didn't think so. <laughs> yeah, it just that just kind of rolls into the. I think I think you you said once on one of your podcasts. Uh, you ordered a. Can't remember what the fuck you ordered, but it was like 
$800 for shifting or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sometimes you'll, you know, there's a, plenty of times that you'll spend more on shipping than you will on the, you know, the item itself that you're Correct. buying. And I, I think you said the product is only like 200 bucks. <laughs> yeah. No, especially when you're getting into bulkier stuff, like if you're trying to get a crate engine yep. or something like that, or get a, you know, especially once you're getting into those, you know, specialty tools or, you know, any type of specialty equipment that's hard to source in the first place. And then it's, you know, big and bulky. It's got to be put in a crate and then barged or, you know, flown. And it just, it can turn into a rat race. It is getting better. There's a lot more local resources and that type of stuff. But that's the biggest uh, change for a lot of people. It's just, you know, you can't just drive down to the mall and go get a new pair of tennis shoes or you can't, you know, just run to Home Depot and pick up a box of screws necessarily. You've got to, you know, all right, we're going to make an anchorage trip this weekend, clear the calendar, you know, book a room, do the whole freaking gamut. But you'll just find that certain things, it just adds up all the odds and ends once you account for, you know, the increase in rent, the increase in fuel, your, you know, increase in grocery bill, everything is about 20% more expensive up here. Uh, it's kind of what I use for baseline for budgeting purposes and stuff. Take whatever you plan to spend, tack another 20% on, and then that's about what you'll end up spending up here, especially once you account for drive time, gas, just all the different odds and ends. It just kind of slowly stacks up and adds up. Um, but it's just kind of the cost of doing business up here. You get, you start to get accustomed to it. You kind of, it, it normalizes pretty, pretty quickly. You just kind of realize that, nope, this is, this is what it takes to live up here. Um, but that kind of loops back to the whole idea of getting a couple years under your belt and really recognizing what it is that you're battling and facing and just kind of what the, uh, year has to offer and how work's going to be in the whole, you know, the whole nine yards of the ordeal. Um, I forgot where I was, I was heading somewhere with that, but, uh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know where you're going with that, but I, I do have a fun, a fun filled question here. Yeah. Go for it. Uh, my, my buddy, he wanted me to ask this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> What the fuck is the difference between a caribou and a reindeer? It's, it's the same shit, ain't it? Pretty much. So the only the only true uh, difference is they're the exact same species. It's just reindeers, uh, what you call a domesticated caribou, basically. So if you were to scoop up a herd of, <laughs> herd of caribou, stick them in a you know, corral for a year, and they will. They're kind of like uh, feral hogs. If you have just a normal, okay, okay. you know, like yep. lot pig and, uh, you know, farm pig and you cut it loose and let it, you know, do its own thing, it'll eventually, you know, start growing more hair, grow tusks and become, yeah. you know, a feral hog. And that's effectively the difference between a reindeer and a caribou. A reindeer is just a, a caribou that lost its balls somewhere along the, along the way and, you know, listens, <laughs> listens to the, uh, the long, long, uh, long hand of the law. And then uh, once they get uh, feral and 
go about their normal life, and then they kind of transition back. I figured you're the perfect person to ask this question. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely fucking nothing. There's no difference. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong. There's yeah. nothing different. Yeah. Nope. Yep. Reindeer is what Santa has, and caribou is what we shoot. So that's about the, <laughs> the only defining yeah. difference there. But and you can still find the North Pole. Yep. In Alaska. So. <laughs> Darn right. You can even just, go talk just to the outside man. of Fairbanks. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No. But um, one thing I'd uh, kind of urge you to do, circling back to the whole looking for. Uh, looking for a place to set roots, I wouldn't, not to, not to try and rain on the parade or anything, but just keeping it, you know, nitty gritty and truthful with you. When you're looking for places in Homer, I would also expand the search to the, like the Soldat and Kenai area, especially since you're fishing oriented. Homer is, you know, we like to think of it as the Mecca for fishing and, you know, it's a halibut fishing capital of the world. Uh, but those days Correct. are slowly, you know, behind it. It's past what I would, you know, it's proverbial peak. It uh, isn't quite what it used to be. And for, you know, just being two hours up the road, uh, especially when it comes to just fishing in general, I'd put like the Kenai Soldatna area uh, above Homer in my personal uh, preference for fishing, just because the access is a little more uh, readily available. Is that is that for is that just for halibut or uh, that that kind of for all fishing? For all fishing, like Homer. If you're looking to get into ground fishing, rockfish and halibut specifically, Homer still kind of holds that crown as being uh, the fishing capital for saltwater uh, for a lot of people for also being on the road system, still having some amenities. Homer's still king in that regard, but just fishing in general, having the access to, you know, more freshwater fishing still being on the salt water, still having great saltwater access. I think Soldat and Kenai just logistically makes a lot more sense for a lot of people. And for a lot of people that maybe Homer is the end goal, uh, the Kenai Soldat area can be a great like launching point from that because generally housing's going to be about 25% cheaper, if not more. You know, you can get a real nice year-long rental, three-bedroom, two-bath, you know, newer build for $1,400, whereas $1,400 will get you half of that in Homer. Um, you also just have more access to uh, restaurants. You know, you've got a Home Depot. You've got some of those amenities. And there's just more job access as well. Homer's kind of, I don't want to say the oh, worst so that, place. So to, bigger, if I'm not mistaken. It's, it's, yep. It's, uh, the, quite a bit bigger. The Kenai Soldatna area, I kind of lump them together. They're, you know, no more than a 10 minute drive. Yeah. Oh, you, you almost have to, cause they're, they're right next to yeah. each other. They're basically sister cities and their population is probably yeah. about 30,000. They're about three times the size of Homer. It doesn't necessarily feel that way. Uh, but you definitely see it when regards to, you know, having a home Depot, having, I think they have a Walmart in Soldatna. I can't, I always forget. I think they do, but you know, you've got a Walmart, you've got a home Depot. There's more. They got a Fred Myers. I know that. Yep, exactly. <laughs> you've just, you've got more <laughs> stuff up there. The cost of living is a little cheaper. 
Um, finding steady work is a little easier up there. You've got some oil and gas industry up there. You've got more construction, more kind of equipment type positions, uh, as well as still being right in the heart of the, you know, the hunting and fishing industry. So you still have a lot of fishing opportunity and stuff. Um, kind of the point of that rant just kind of, I would still keep that on your watch list. Um, and definitely, you know, it's a great place. If you know, you want to be in Homer in the long term. you know, spending a couple years in Soldotna, you're, you know, you're still just a hop and a skip from Homer. You can drive down and still get to enjoy it. But a lot of people kind of get misled, um, in the beauty of Homer, uh, just due to the fact that where Homer itself is like the, side of the bay homer's on is kind of lackluster it's gorgeous you get a look at the beauty but you can't really take advantage of any of it unless you have access to a boat um which is a major hurdle for a lot of people because boats aren't cheap (laughs) and i've 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 noticed this so much i've noticed this so much if you don't have a boat and you live in homer you you're like you said, you're lackluster. Yeah. Because you, you can't do much. Yeah, it kind of forces your you, hand you, into that, like I mentioned earlier, living in paradise and getting to see paradise every day, but never really getting to fully experience it. Um, it is one of yeah. those things you you are there, so you do get more opportunities. You know, once you start networking and stuff, you, you know, you're likely to find a buddy that might have access to a boat or, you know, you become good buddies with a water taxi and you're able to get, you know, free seats on a water taxi or a discounted rate or something. Um, but it does kind of fool a lot of people uh, because they think, you know, oh, I live here now, you know, this is just going to become my life. And then you realize, you don't have the means to do all the shit you wanted to do. And then you end up driving, you know, two hours to Kenai and Soldatna to do all your fishing because we don't really have freshwater access in Homer. We've got, you know, some local rivers and streams, uh, that have, you know, phenomenal fishing, but it's not quite to the caliber that like the Kenai river is or the Swan Lake, uh, lake systems are. Um, if I were to do it all over again, um, knowing what I know about Homer now, if I was in a position like yourself, I would honestly probably lean towards looking further up the peninsula just because it does give you a head start to the rest of the state. Because as you'll learn living down here, um, we do have a lot of access to stuff, but especially if you want to get in the world of hunting up here, um, it's kind of lackluster for hunting. We do have a lot of options. But kind of your traditional caribou moose hunting is different down here. We don't really have a caribou herd. Um, we do have solid moose hunting here. It's probably the best on the peninsula. I do want to get into hunting with you at some point here. Yeah, no, we can definitely uh, jump into that here next. Um, but I just like Central Peninsula, I think, has more to offer at this point in time than say South Peninsula, like the Homer area, just because you're kind of extending yourself further down the road system. You're kind of, you're alienating yourself from the rest of the state a little bit, just because it does become a longer endeavor to go anywhere. Whereas somewhere at like 
Kenai, you're two hours from Seward, two and a half hours from Anchorage, and then from there you can jump off to the rest of the state, and Homer, you're basically just doubling your distance to everywhere without really gaining anything other than the ambient view, which, I mean, for a lot of people is worth it. It's freaking gorgeous, but it doesn't quite give you the uh, options that you may think it does. So I would just keep an open mindset to uh, other places on the peninsula just because logistically it might make more sense for you um, in the short term. And then it, you know, it gives you, lets you dip your toe into Alaska. And if you do want to, you know, move somewhere else, it gives you a good kind of baseline of what it's going to take to live in Alaska while still having some of those amenities without fully, you know, jumping into the deep end and signing up to the higher you know, overall cost of living of a place like Homer um, and still being able to get your feet under you, kind of set some roots in Alaska, do that networking, uh, still be able to travel down to Homer uh, or other places, Seward, uh, you know, the Anchorage Valley area. It just gives you more flexibility is the best way I could put it. Um, just being able to live a little little more affordable and having access to more stuff. So I would just keep that on your radar. Yeah. Well, uh, don't really want to move to Anchorage. That's kind of a fucking yeah. No, don't, yeah. <laughs> don't move there. That's just that. <laughs> you won't that's, get any of that's what That's all you I can really there. say. It's, it, it's a, it's a zoo and I seen it, uh, how many years ago it was, it was, not good. Yeah, no, that would, if there's one place I recommend not a good area. move is Anchorage. Everywhere else yeah. is, is worth looking at. I would stay away from Anchorage unless, you know, <laughs> drives you there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's a beautiful place. I don't take anything away from people living there, but uh, it's kind of the armpit of Alaska in my personal opinion. <laughs> oh, actually, literally. Literally, if you look at it on the map, it is definitely the arm. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. But uh, we can transition over to the hunting side of things. I don't want to uh, eat up too much of your time, uh, but we definitely have uh, some time. We can dive into that if you want to. Yeah. So uh, you and Sean, you always talk about uh, doing the ADAC uh, caribou hunt. And uh, I was just kind of wondering, this, this, this is just a personal question. Yeah. I don't think this really pertains, pertains to anybody else, but what, what, what does that cost for a guy? Like, it, I, since I've been listening to the podcast, I, I kind of want to go on an ADAC hunt with, with you guys. I don't know if that's possible or not, but. Oh, what, what, what anything's is that possible. Um, so ADEX, one of those, it's it's a real strange hunt. So it, we've talked about it quite a bit. It's fucking out there. I know that. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's out there. It's definitely, uh, yeah. it's definitely a unique one and definitely kind of a unicorn of hunting opportunities in uh, America and if not the world for a lot of cases. It's a very doable hunt, but it just takes a lot of foreplanning and just – you really have to nail the logistics of it because once you step on that plane, there's kind of no turning back and there's no uh, uh, safety net once you get there because uh, they're really 
isn't anything there. You're basically flying into uh, effectively an abandoned island in the middle of the ocean that's uh, nowhere it close to It used to, to be what uh, an old military base or whatever for uh, World War II. Yep. You're right on, right on the money like with that. that. Yep. So and, you, uh, and I've seen, I've seen, um, on Kodiak, they got all them, uh, the bunkers and whatnot. Yeah. And I, I kind of assume that would be almost the same, but maybe a little bit more, or a lot more on ADAC is, uh, all the bunkers and all that. But also, you said, well, and you, if you look on Google Maps, they it, they have like a town, town type of deal there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so <laughs> they, they got a liquor store, as you've mentioned <laughs> many, many times. Yep, the old ADAC, <laughs> old ADAC water and hole. Um, yeah, so yeah what did you say? $300 for a bottle of something? I think we paid for a bottle of black velvet and a case of Coors. I think we paid like 280 And it's, it's always a cheap, cheap-ass liquor, too, for... Oh yeah, An no, enormous dude. amount of money. <laughs> yeah, we're not, you know, you're not getting your black label or your gray goose or no, it's pretty uh pretty slim pickings, but you're just happy it exists while you're got- out there. <laughs> you know, you've never been so happy to pay 300 bucks for, you know, $30 worth of beer. <laughs> right. <laughs> But no, kind of the $120 for a case of freaking natural light or something. Like <laughs> exactly. But the to pull a trip off like that, it's I'd say fairly cost effective. Your main thing you're going to shell out for a trip like that is primarily airfare. airfare. Uh one of the loopholes to get away from that on a trip. So Round trip going out to ADAC, generally your airfare is going to be something like 1600 bucks, just kind of in that ballpark range. Gotcha. But if you yeah. have um, and a recommendation for anybody coming up to Alaska, or even if you just travel to Alaska a bunch, is to get an Alaska Airlines credit card because they have a great rewards and that's, program. That was, that was another question. That's another question I have. Go for it. So we're talking about Alaska Airlines. What are the perks of it? Because um, obviously, and I, I always thought um, only Raven flew out to uh, the Aleutian Islands. And I think as of now, I'm mistaken. Uh, so Raven right now is, they've got some turmoil they're going through. They, I believe just pulled out of the Homer, uh, airport. They might still be operating down here, but they've the last couple years, they, they went bankrupt, were bought out by a California company. They still service a lot of Alaska, but they've kind of been changing their flight patterns and stuff. Um, but for ADAC, uh, specifically, the only airline that flies out there is actually uh, Alaska Airlines that I know of. There might be a couple regional flights in the summer that go out there, uh, but I believe, uh, like especially in the winter, 
Uh, it's just Alaska Airlines that flies out there, which is aggressively so, overkill. How did how how does their um, their hell is it? Um, their mileage? Yeah. How, how does their mileage so like rewards of, or whatever it is? Yeah, no, I'll get into that. Um, so of all, I'm not a, I I normally fly United. Yep. Um, maybe you've flown with them before, but um, I normally fly between Sioux City and um, Chicago. And when you do that flight, it's an hour and a half flight. But you don't accrue any mileage at all. Huh. Which I think is kind of ridiculous because um, you're flying almost 400 miles but yeah. you're not gaining anything out of it but you're still a member of the program yeah i'm not a hundred percent sure how alaska airlines does all of their um mile programs uh i do know i, I would think obviously from uh wherever you're flying out to <laughs> to uh adax that's that's actually uh, quite a bit of miles oh yeah. um, i think it's something like 1200 one way yeah so i i think maybe that would probably would be why um we accrue so many uh, uh miles but yeah I, you, I just you never under i just don't understand um uh, airline miles i just never have understood it yeah i'm no expert myself on it but um the benefits of so kind of their main deal with the Alaska Airlines card. It does have a annual fee, which I'm more of a proponent for, you know, zero fee credit cards in general, but this is one that I would recommend. I think, I think everybody can contest that. Yeah. Cause you do get, if you're an Alaska Airlines member and you have their card and book with their card and everything i believe you get two ba- two bags for free every year they have a companion rate deal where you get a if you book a flight you get a second passenger for like 99 bucks um and then the big thing with it is like the air miles up here because once you're in alaska you're generally going to be flying um through alaska airlines like when i was going back and forth to the midwest i was flying a lot of delta some united um but there's uh, alaska airlines routes all over the u.s now and they they're pretty they're one of the better airline companies that i've ever worked with um when it comes to like customer service stuff, they are just like a very, very good company in those regards. And, um, they're one of the few, you know, kind of rewards programs where I've seen the, you know, people truly take advantage of it. And especially like looping back to the ADAC, uh, trip, like if you were to pay out of pocket, you're looking at probably 1500 to $1,800 for a round trip ticket, but if you have some Alaska Airlines miles, you can get those tickets for like 20,000 airline miles, which is, you know, the equivalent to like a $250 ticket. Um, so if you were to, you know, even that is actually not bad at all. Yeah, exactly. So you can kind it's of like find a, those. That's like a free trip. 
Yeah, because the Alaska Airlines route to ADAC is effectively subsidized just for the community. They pretty much, the only reason Alaska Airlines flies out there is uh, to run a TSA member out to the airport. And uh, <laughs> I mean, when we flew back from our ADAC trip, we had a group of 12 people. And I think there was a total of 14 people on this 747. So, uh, I mean, there's... No- oh, they- they, they do a big old plane out there. Yep. So they'll fly, you know, your traditional kind of jumbo jet airliner out there and they'll take, you know, 20 people on it. And you're, it feels, you know, it's about the closest I'll ever come to flying private probably in my life. But, uh, Heading out there. I figured they'd fly out a, a prop jet like uh, out to Dutch. Yep. Nope. They do full turbine flight. Like I said, there might be some regional Big flights old. in the summer that'll run out there for like to service the commercial fishermen and stuff coming in and out. Um, but for the most of my knowledge, it's those 747s from Alaska Airlines, uh, which is nice because when we did our trip out, I know Sean and Sam have done the same is you'll pretty much check, uh, totes as luggage and you'll fill them up with, you know, whatever gear you're taking out there, um, your food. Like when we went, there's no you know, no means of buying food out there in the winter. There's no operating grocery store or anything like that. So, you know, every individual was responsible for like a breakfast and a dinner. You've got to pack that stuff out. You know, you're preparing it there. Um, we went through a transport service out there that gave us uh, mil- old military housing. So the town that you'll see on Google Maps and everything is basically old military infrastructure, just old uh, townhomes effectively that were put up through the different uh, decades of operation out there. And some of the locals have bought them up and turned them into effectively bunkhouses for hunters or anglers coming out there. And I believe there's there's only like 12 actual residents. Yeah. Something like that. It's sparse. Yeah. (laughs) There's not, (laughs) it ain't much. No, it feels like you're walking around Chernobyl when you're on the Island. It was one of the few times that I've ever gotten kind of like chills in my life, which was strange. And it was just being out there because uh, the best way I could describe it feels like you're uh, like trespassing on history. Like it, it just feels like you're not supposed okay. to be there. Like you're on a, you know, ancient Indian burial ground. It kind of gives those vibes. It just something feels off, but it's because I mean, it's a town of what used to be 8,000 that just up and disappeared in the night effectively when the coast guard and Navy pulled out of there. And now it's, you know, just enough people to keep the power plant running and the air, airfield cleared um but there is still um i need to look into it some more i've heard some rumors of the caribou population this year took a big hit Uh, i'm not sure necessarily what from if it was you know real harsh winter out there big winter kill or if it's just becoming more popular of a hunt because i keep blabbing on about it um <laughs> i'm not sure a little little bit well, better, i but. don't know about that i don't know about that come on now. but uh we do it for the people because we love you guys and see if you just reach I out mean, you might get to be on an episode like trevor make your dreams come true <laughs> but um no that's it's definitely still a super uh i think it's something if you're interested in 
doing something truly unique and uh, getting to do a badass hunting trip, I still, you know, still support it for anybody and everybody out there that wants to do it. I know that's going to piss a lot of people off, but uh, also, you know, got to look out for the outfitters and services that are out there. You know, they're just trying to make a living. So uh, just make sure to take care of your people out there when you go. Um, that was more of a PSA to everybody listening than directly. Yeah, well, Trevor, but. <laughs> yeah no, I, 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 I definitely, I got, I got the gist of that <laughs> yeah. for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm a, on the note of hunting, um, you talked about the, it's kind of like a lottery type of deal. Yeah. So, for, uh, getting, uh, tagged. So, yeah, the way our tag system works up here. So, I guess, obviously, you can go out and buy a, a resident bear tag every year mm-hmm. or a, a resident, I don't know, can you get a deer tag up there? Yeah, so the way, so to establish, first you've got to establish your residency up here, which uh, they do it a little squirrely up here, but it goes from January, you have to be in the state oh, from January. Yeah, that would that'd be another question. Yep. Yep. So you've got to be in the state for a calendar year. So January 1 to January 1 before you can apply for your state residency. And once you do that, then you're eligible for uh, resident hunting and fishing licenses. You're also enrolled into the permanent fund dividend program, which is uh, the basically their oil royalty checks that every Alaskan gets every year. Um, it's always a big the political PF topic. or whatever the hell yeah, it is. The PFD. So like this year, I think it was 1300 yeah. bucks. Uh, so you get it in October or November. Um, but that you can enroll in that once you're here for a year. And on the regards of the hunting, we do residents went out over the non-residents every time in Alaska. You can get an over-the-counter. As a resident, you can get over-the-counter moose, caribou, Black bear, brown bear, Sitka black-tailed deer, uh, sheep, mountain goat. You can pretty much you can hunt every species in Alaska without spending, you know, basically a dime outside of muskox and bison. Uh, all of that is dependent on what unit you're in, what part of the state. There's a lot of uh, reading between the tea leaves you have to do with the Alaska regs. It's kind of a pain in the ass, especially on the fishing side. Uh, but they do it for good reason. They Oh, I uh, know about that. I do know about that. Yep. And so and in the ass. <laughs> yep. But they do it they do a decent job of it once you as, get, as a uh, non resident I, I do know about the uh <laughs> the fishing side of getting <laughs> getting permits. Yep. <laughs> but once you get a, yeah, it can be a cluster for sure. But once you get established up here, it really opens up what you can do. Um, like I said, it gives you the illusion of being able to do everything. It's still hard. I mean, I can get a sheep tag, a doll sheep tag over the counter every year for pretty much until I die or until they change the regs. But you still have to be able to get into sheep country. You still have to get into goat country, bear country, you know, X, Y, or Z. Um, but for yeah. like the peninsula in particular, your best, uh, your best opportunity for hunting is definitely over the counter moose tags and then black bear tags. I was just going to say it. Moose, moose. Yep. They're up there. Exactly. They're in that valley. 
Exactly. They don't call it the Manatee Valley for nothing. (laughs) Nope. And so we've got good hunting access. It's just mainly figuring out the, you know, the style of hunting, figuring out the lay of the land and just how kind of, what's the best way to put it? Um, can't think of the best adjective for it, but regardless, it's, it's just a lot more encompassing than your traditional like whitetail hunting. I grew up, you know, hunting whitetail since I was six years old, killed my first, you know, buck by age eight, killed my first solo bow buck by age 10, moved up here and I haven't killed shit since. Uh, <laughs> not quite. I've been lucky, <laughs> lucky enough to kill a couple things, but uh, it gets real fucking hard real quick. Yeah. <laughs> There's no sugarcoat. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of cutting your teeth and figuring it out. And it's just, it's a completely different type of hunting. You can basically take everything you know about hunting, crumple it up, throw it in the nearest trash can and start fresh. Um, just because spot and stock backcountry hunting in Alaska is just, it's a lot different. It's pretty much the only real way you can go about it. Um, there are, you know, bear bait stations and stuff where you're getting more traditional, you know, saddle or tree stand hunting. Uh, and you can kind of incorporate is, uh, that with some moose hunting as well. But is, is bear baiting that's legal, correct? Yep. Uh, there are dedicated seasons for it and there's, you know, certain regs on where you can establish a bait site and stuff. Um, but we do have, you know, pretty lax regulations when it comes to hunting across the board. And when I say lax, I predominantly mean length of season and availability to tags. Um, they will throw you under the jail if they catch you, you know, breaking the regs. They are, very you know by the book with that stuff uh, but i always describe it they're not out to get you they're just out to protect the landscape as thorough as they can and they're gonna you know if they bust you doing something you shouldn't be you're definitely gonna pay the price for it but they give us all the means in the world to get as lost as we want and have all the opportunity we can it's just a matter of kind of fighting through the tea leaves of the regulations and figuring out exactly where you can be, what you can do, what land you can access, what land you can't, where you need certain permitting and stuff. It's definitely a little more uh, over the top than, you know, most states where, you know, comes gun season for deer, you go down to the Piggly Wiggly or whatever, you know, hardware store you got, pick up a tag and then, you know, hunt, hunt whatever parcel of land you got access to. It just, it's, a little more, a little more in depth. And a lot of it, what I found personally is, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to pull off an effective hunt up here in a traditional like weekend setting. You know, you need, you really need like three to five days minimum, uh, to be effective up here. In my opinion, a lot of people would argue that. And I mean, I would argue that as well. I passed on a, you know, a legal moose in my driveway, uh, during archery season this year. And I could have, you know, put an arrow in a, in a spike fork bull in my driveway and had the easiest pack out of my life. Um, but I've also, you know, me and Sean covered hundreds of miles and, uh, canoed crossed, you know, oceans, climbed mountains, did everything we could. And then, you know, to not see a moose all season. So there's, 
you know, it's just, it, there's a big learning curve uh, when it comes to the hunting, the fishing a little less, it's a little more intuitive. Um, if you've got a fishing background, you know, it's just more of figuring out where to be and what to use versus, you know, reinventing the wheel. Whereas it feels like the, the hunting up here, you kind of have to reinvent the wheel and just learn the shitty hard way of eating tag soup for a while until you figure it out. Yeah, so that's a kind of what it sounds like uh when you when you listen to the podcast the uh average alaskan podcast that we're talking on right now um once in a while you listen and you're like holy fuck these guys are out there for a while yeah and then uh you just kind of keep listening, keep listening, and you're like, holy shit, because they're still out there. <laughs> <laughs> no. Holy fuck, they're still out there. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, they, they, these guys, are, they're doing their shit, right? And uh, I have a question, though. Yeah, let it fly. Um, it, has, it has to do with... Uh, I don't know, what would you call it? Uh, rules, regulations, um, laws, law law enforcement. Um, I do know firsthand um, Alaska law enforcement, uh, state patrol, and uh, what do you call it, DNR? Yep. Um, very, very strict. Like probably the strictest in the United States, I would have to say. Um, how how do you keep up with? Um, cause they're always throwing out um, new rules and regulations, and especially um, during the middle of a fishing season, all of a sudden they'll just throw something out there like oh hey you now your limits this instead of what it originally was like maybe your limit was three halibut and then all of a sudden it just goes down to like one per person how, how do you how, how do you like keep up with that um well, the they, don't, answer... they don't like broadcast it they don't they do not broadcast it it's like yeah. you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's one of those tricky things the shortest way to go about it is uh you can never be on top of all of it you just do your best to know as much as you can that's kind of one of those wrinkles <laughs> that you'll iron out once you get established up here because like a lot of it, like there's a lot of uh, kind of what you're referring to. We'll get emer- they call them emergency orders up here. So like the most Correct. Common- yeah, emergency orders. Yep. Yeah. So the most common ones are in the salmon fisheries because basically what they're waiting for is they'll have weirs set up in the river to count fish. They have certain es- escapement goals they're trying to meet and stuff. So what you'll kind of it turns you'll start noticing patterns in them and realize kind of what they're operating around. So the most common ones, the second run of sockeye salmon for the Kenai river, the best example, the season 
almost always starts with a limit of three fish per person per day. And then depending on how strong the run is, how the run's playing out, once they reach their escapement goals, they'll bump the fish limit from three to six. And that's generally how it goes this year. Uh, we saw super that's high numbers. Bump. Exactly. And we actually got up to nine fish a person. So, you know, we tripled oh, what our original, uh, allotted limit was and so that's that for kings or just so uh, that was for reds yep just for sockeye and you'll see a lot of emergency orders regarding kings because that's been a hot topic for the last 10 years here on the peninsula we've had dwindling king numbers and so you'll see you know like two years ago uh, we had a trip planned up on the Kenai. Uh, it was originally supposed to be a drift fishing trip on the Kasilof River uh, chasing king salmon. I had an uh, old college teammate come up. It was his first time visiting Alaska. We were going to try and, you know, hit it all, do everything we could. Um, and the day before our trip, emergency order came out. They shut down all king salmon fishing for the Kasilof River. So we had to shift gears. We turned it into a uh, red salmon and rainbow fishing trip. And those are, you know, you'll start getting accustomed because kind of your emergency orders are going to usually be in the summer regarding the salmon run. You'll get some for uh, another common one is the goat hunts. Uh, We'll have a unit, say they're allotted 20 goats and they'll do instead of giving out 20 tags, it'll be a registration hunt. So you can effectively get an over the counter tag. And as billies are harvested harvested uh alaska fishing game will keep track of the numbers and then they'll effectively the season will be open for say 20 days but the second that quota is met they'll shut the season down so prior to leaving on your trip you kind of have to check with fishing game you're like all right there's like three goats allotted left uh for this unit we're planning a 10-day trip um you know this is as soon as we get a goat we need to call it in the season could close any day now and so you'll start seeing regulations like that in certain uh, certain fisheries certain hunting units certain hunting species but it's one of those things the longer you spend up here and the more you're just kind of in the industry or just out in the woods or out on the river out on the water you'll start picking up on it because you'll kind of have your year-to-year normal regulations and then you'll have your changes throughout the season and you can kind of predict them to some extent uh, just kind of based on the time of the year, yearly trends and that kind of, you can kind of figure out your own system to plan them out and you'll find that they, they do distribute a lot of the orders but they wouldn't do it they don't do it like you would assume they would, you know, rate, you know, a blip on the radio or something like that. They'll usually just release it online to their website and then people start passing it around through like Facebook groups and stuff. So a lot of times you're getting, <coughs> Ooh, excuse me. Um, but you're getting, exactly. You'll have somebody, Oh, they bumped the limit up on the Kenai. And then you go onto the website and you'll see the emergency order and you're like, Oh yeah, they did. Um, so it, it, it's definitely a learning yeah, curve, throw that fish back in. <laughs> yep. 
But it's one of those things, it gets easier once you get accustomed to the system. When you're looking at the system from outside, it just makes no sense. It's like when I try and apply for tags in Colorado, their system makes no fucking sense to me. So I just end up not applying because I don't want to deal with reading because I'm not good at it. Uh, <laughs> whereas yeah. like up here to other people, it's a giant pain in the butt. But I've been living it in and out for the last 12 years or so now to where it kind of comes second nature. I know where to find the information and stuff. So in that regards, it just kind of takes time of getting used to it and then recognizing where you're going to see those changes because most regulations don't change, um, but you'll kind of f- start figuring out what, what do change and when you need to look out for them and stuff. Um, and then we do have annual changes to regs. Usually they're every three years and they're on a rotating schedule. So every part of the state will get reevaluated. Um Every year, it's just a different unit usually or a different region of the state, and they're kind of on cycles. Like right now, last year, uh, which went into effect this fall, they changed non-resident deer tags on Kodiak Island from three to one, and that'll be in effect for the next two seasons before it's brought back on the docket and reevaluated. So the Alaska Fishing Game also changes regulations on you know, kind of a, a set annual base, uh, depending on where in the state you are and what uh, cycle you're on. But for the most part, the regulations stay pretty steady. Um, and we do have good fishing game offices, local and stuff that are more than willing to give people information and get them up to speed and their jobs to make sure we're doing everything right out there. And so they're, you know, they're willing to give you the information if you ask, but you just kind of have to reach out for it. And they're a little less out forward with that information. And sometimes you have to kind of seek it out. What I was going to ask, uh, I'm unfortunately running out of uh, recording space. Uh, I didn't clear up uh, enough leading into this. Um, do you have any last uh, questions you want to throw out there? Any Anything on the top of the mind you want to cover before we hop on out of here? No, I think we covered I wrote a big old list here. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Yeah. Find a question or two and we'll wrap prepared. up. That's prepared. <laughs> hey, oh, hey, I appreciate it. <laughs> I figured, I mean, I couldn't make it for Friday. So. <laughs> oh, it's all good. Might you just have to apologize to, to the rest of the world. It's t- yeah. <laughs> it's Trevor's Sorry. world. We're just living this in it. It could have so. been out earlier. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're all good, brother. Uh, I think we covered much yeah i don't see anything else all righty well we'll always uh you've got my contact information and everything so uh we can t- definitely uh keep in tabs and uh you're welcome to bounce any questions off me at any time you know that's what that's the whole purpose of this podcast is help as many people out there as we can so uh no it's been a blast having you on getting to getting to meet you and i actually uh before you hop off uh, out of here, I've got a couple quick questions I want to ask you just kind of regarding the podcast since we have you on. Um, yep. One, uh, how did you how did you find the podcast and what kind of uh, what made you keep listening along? Is this still on air? Are, are we still on the air? Oh, yes, you're still live. 
Okay. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> and, uh, I thought maybe you just like cut it right there. Oh no, it's all good. <laughs> oh, honestly, I uh, I was on Spotify and uh, I just put in. Uh, I was searching. I was like, "Fuck it." We're just going to put in the word Alaska. (laughs) 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 And uh, I think it was the second thing to come up. Second or third thing to come up. It was the average Alaskan podcast. And I was like, okay, try this one. Bam. (laughs) Heck yeah. there! Bam. (laughs) Like, I'm I'm not going to lie. And... To all the listeners out here, I could honestly listen to this shit all day long, and I do. I I drive a tractor all day long, and uh, something about listening to other people talk (laughs) 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 about uh, hunting, fishing, and uh, just the big topic, Alaska, I don't know. It intrigues me. So not bad. Not bad at all. Heck yeah. No, I just figured that's one of the squirreliest things about doing something like this. You don't get a lot of, uh, we get to interact with a lot of listeners, but you don't often get a really get into the nitty gritty and find out, you know, how they, how they came across it and what their, you know, true opinions on it are. You just kind of unfortunately have to go off of analytics and you know, all that BS, which definitely isn't in my wheelhouse yeah. to begin with, <laughs> but that, that stuff, that stuff isn't really all the truth either. Oh, exactly. So much, you know, it's, that's why I lean so much on direct information from you guys out there listening and the messages y'all send in. I love getting back to them, you know, and never know what the, what it's going to be, whether it's just sharing a story, just saying hi, or, you know, answering questions and stuff. And, you know, it's been been quite the process of us kind of adapting and learning and figuring the whole system out, but we're glad that, you know, people like yourself are enjoying the show. And I, I think, I think we got to get a sponsor going though. Right. That's we've been, we've been holding uh, out. I think, trying I to think uh, that all out. Uh, the old Zimbabwe, we got to, we got to get them. To <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Little, Three milli yeah. uh, gum pilly action. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the old fucking lip pillow. Yup. Well, yeah. We, uh, we've been kind of keeping I, our I cards. Smoking. Uh, oh, sorry. didn't mean to cut you off there. Go ahead. Oh, I, I quit smoking like six, years, six months ago. And, <laughs> this is the only shit that keeps me going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've all got our vices. Let us enjoy I would have tore, tore somebody's freaking brain out by now. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah. So if y'all are listening to that, uh, if anybody's got any ends, uh, they can email me at uh, average lasting podcast at yahoo.com. Um, <laughs> Give them the ends for the zen. <laughs> Yeehaw. Hell yeah. Well, thanks again uh, for hopping on the show. It's kind of a different one. Uh, hopefully, we can do some more of these in the future. Uh, get some more of you guys uh, on the on the podcast itself and uh, cover some of the Alaska topics. And uh, we might have to do a follow up episode with you, Trevor, down the road. And uh, uh, once you're kind of 
a little further down the decision making and maybe jump on again and we'll see how the process is going and uh, see if it's going to be what it's all cracked up to be. Next time you talk to me, I might be in Alaska. Heck you never yeah. know. There you go. We can do it proper in the studio Actually, next time. I, I might be in your studio. <laughs> Heck yeah. No, and then if all if all things go well, maybe out in the field as well. So, Ooh. Heck. Heck yeah. We'll put it on the Heck. calendar. <laughs> I'm I'm actually uh, really excited to to do that trip. I, I'm not a gigantic hunter myself, but I am. Uh, that's on my list of things to do. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, all worth it just in the experience alone. You know, you could be as green correct. behind the ears when it comes to the hunting, and it'll. You know, I don't think anybody will take that. I can. I can and that adventure for granted. So. I'm a damn good shot. I've been told it by many, many people. Damn, you know but, a lot of liars, huh? <laughs> yeah, 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 I do. I got to take my jabs when but, I get a chance. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Take them. Oh, take them. I'll leave the rest for the in-person interview. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Ooh. Oh. All righty. Well, uh, it, it's been a pleasure, and uh, we'll stay in contact, brother. All right. You have a I wonderful evening, heard. and uh, it was a pleasure chatting with you, and uh, I'll get in contact with you once I'm off the air, and I'll let you know when all this will be out and about for everybody out there listening. Okay. All righty. You have a good one. Well, guys, this episode went a little longer than our normal ones, but I really hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, that was the first time uh, me and Trevor had uh, thoroughly talked. You know, we had messaged uh, on the old DMs on Instagram prior to this, but uh, it just goes to show what we've told you guys from the beginning. Uh, if you guys reach out, need need help, need answers, uh, we'll do whatever we can to help. Uh, whether it's just answering them over the phone, uh, through Messenger, or whatever it may be, or doing a full episode like we did today, uh, you never know. So, uh, you know, you know where to reach us. You can find uh, myself at Michael underscore Swoboda on Instagram. You can find Sean at Sean underscore Louv L U V, uh, and you can find the podcast itself at Average underscore Alaskan underscore Podcast on Instagram. You can also reach us via email at average Alaskan podcast at yahoo.com. I am a little slower at that one just because I despise everything email has to offer because I refuse to adapt like the rest of the world, but uh, I do use it. So I will reach out to you. But if you email me, I don't get back to you for a week. You know why? And that's because I've just neglected to open my email. Um, well, yeah, hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope I didn't piss off too many uh, Alaskans out there by discussing how to move up here and the logistics behind it. Uh, but like I mentioned at the beginning, it's the inevitable truth of the advancement of society is people are going to move. People are going to join communities, leave communities. And uh, all we can hope is that we're bringing good like minded people into our environment and continue to grow the communities that we have and uh, keep them going in the direction that we all want them. Um, and I think, uh, Trevor's a great example of somebody who's willing to put his nose to the grindstone and do what it takes to move up here to Alaska 
And so uh, all the power to him in that journey. Uh, we'll keep you guys updated on that process uh, down the road. We'll check in with Trevor. But until then, y'all stay warm, stay dry, enjoy the outdoors, get out of the house, touch some grass, and don't forget to love your family. Later. Have a good one. Thank you.